Welcome to Questions from the Closet. I'm Ben Shalati. And I'm Charlie Bird. Each episode, we discuss a question that we commonly get asked as LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. We are not trying to answer this question or come to a consensus, but simply sharing our perspectives. Today's question is, how do I navigate conflicting feelings about the family proclamation? So Charlie and I are not terribly diverse, and we share many opinions and life experiences. For example, we both love to travel and have been to many of the same places. However, there are some pretty big differences. For example, I love going to museums when I travel, and Ben hates going to museums. I really do hate going to museums. I, when I was in Paris, my friend and I went to the Louvre for two hours, and we would have gotten out faster, but it is very big, and we got very lost. Oh my gosh, I'm crying inside. I could spend, I could spend like seven years and still not be done with it. And you know, I know a lot of people are like that. I'm just not a museum guy, so. Yeah, I mean, to, to me, good artwork is Greg Olson. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but when I'm traveling, my, my very favorite thing to do is to, like rent a bike and like bike around a foreign city. I love to do that. That is nice. I like to do that too. Um, so we would like to provide a variety of voices and perspectives. So today we're joined by John Gustav Rathal. Hello. Uh, before before we have John introduce himself, I just want to uh, tell a little personal experience I had with him. So before I had met John, I had heard of him. And one of my first experiences hearing about John was a talk that Tom Christofferson gave at a Circling the Wagons event. Tom told his story about how he had gotten excommunicated and had been in a same-sex partnership for, for decades, and then how he came back to church. And then he told your story, John, and how and how you had also been excommunicated and had been in a committed partnership and, and a marriage for for. for decades. And and then you would also return to the church. And I remember hearing both of your stories while I was like cleaning my house one day and just feeling the spirit tell me saying like, Ben, if you left the church, you would come back to just stay the whole time. So so before I met you, John, uh, you're already inspiring me. And I just think that you're a person of great faith who I I really admire. Well, thank you, Ben. That that means a lot to me since you're a, a person who really inspires me as well. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself, John. Uh, well, I was uh, born in Provo, Utah. I uh, grew up in the Rochester, New York area. Born and raised in the church. We just grew up in a very, very loving and devout home. I served a mission for the church in the Swiss Geneva mission. Went to BYU as a Kimball scholar. Go Oh my gosh, a Kimball scholar. <laughs> you must have been so smart. <laughs> Well, that's what they subtle flex there. That's what they told me. Uh, There's kind of an interesting story about that because actually, when I found out that they had selected me, I I felt so unworthy of this honor that I actually wrote a letter to a member of the committee and told him that I didn't think I I deserved it. Wow! And uh, fortunately, he ignored me. (laughs) So, um, yeah. After my third year at BYU, after um, a very close call with with suicide, I left BYU, and uh, ultimately I resigned from the church and uh, was away for 19 years, in, in, during which time I met my husband and then had a really undeniable spiritual experience in the summer of 2005 and uh, began attending my ward. And it's been an interesting journey since then. Served in the leadership of Affirmation for seven years. Now have recently launched a a brand new ministry called Emmaus with Erica Munson and Valerie Green. We're we're sort of the founders. 
our hope is to foster more effective ministry to and with LGBTQ individuals and their families in and adjacent to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Well, John, you do a lot of great work, and I am just super grateful to get to know you. And so today we're talking about um, the, the document, The Family, A Proclamation to the World. Uh, that can often be difficult for LGBTQ members. You know, as we were talking about this episode, I'm, I'm a little nervous about it, honestly, just because to a lot of people, the proclamation is is inspired of God and and His word to, to His people today. And to other people, it's it's a document that, that, that is painful and hard and that, that causes uh, a lot of sorrow. So we know there are going to be people on different sides and, and we just are here to share our perspective. We're not telling anyone you know, what right. to think do or how to interpret things. Right. Charlie, you're going to talk a little bit about the history of the proclamation? Yeah, so the family, a proclamation to the world, was a 1995 statement issued by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It kind of tells the church's official positions on family and marriage and gender roles, and it was first announced by Gordon B. Hinckley, who was the prophet at the time, in the church's General Relief Society meeting. So, that's just for a little bit of context. I'm pretty sure everyone knows like, if you're listening to the podcast, you're probably very familiar with the Family Proclamation. It's on, like, every wall. Anyone who's married gets a copy in the temple. It's 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 very popular. So, I, I, I almost feel a little bit silly <laughs> telling people what it is. But um, you, you, I, I, like it. I wanted to do that, though, because his historical context is very important for me. So, it just, and, and it kind of helps me, because, like, when this came out, I was two years old. I was born in 93. So I was like one and a half or two years old. Some people remember when the proclamation was given, but to me, it's just like always been part of my life. So it's just kind of fun to have that historical context. And I also didn't know until pretty recently that it was um, given at the, the General Relief Society meeting. I guess I just didn't really know where it came from. I just knew it was on the wall. Yeah. Well, it came out when I during the time when I was away from the church. So it was waiting there to greet me when I came back. Well, John, you are in a, in a same-sex marriage with your husband. Tell us how you relate to the proclamation. I remember the first time I read the proclamation on the family. My gut reaction being, there's a lot of good stuff in here. It gives us an important piece, but it doesn't tell us everything. I interpret everything in the church and everything really that gets thrown at me in my life through the Urim and Thummim of my relationship with God. In the f- context of that relationship and, and knowledge that God has of me and that I have of God, I, I know there's a place for me. When I run into these lacunae in, in the church's teaching... John, that's um, the word I don't know. Can you tell me I don't know it either. He's a Kimball scholar. <laughs> <laughs> it, means, it means a hole. It, you know, a hole, an empty space. And, you know, I, I, I think that one of the great challenges if you are gay or lesbian or bi or trans or, or if you identify as gender non-binary or queer or whatever, um, however you identify in terms of your sexual orientation or your gender identity, one of the challenges if you're, you know, if you have a testimony of the gospel is that there are these big unanswered questions, you know, these big holes you know, why, why, why does this, why am I this way? Why did this happen to me? Sometimes we get answers and sometimes really the only or the best answer is I don't know because all the ones that have been proposed, you know, that, that people have tried to come up with to explain it 
either are harmful or just are, are not, you know, they don't harmonize with my lived experience. I read a document like the Proclamation on the Family, and I think, well, this is this is good. I There are parts of myself that I see in here, but for the most part, my gut reaction was just, this doesn't really address my situation. It, it, it tells us important things about family, and, you know, it, it says some things about men and women that I, I don't know if it holds up because I think men are nurturers and women are providers too. To me, it just doesn't seem truthful to say that our roles are so defined in this in this way. But, but I think what, what's really important is that families are critical. They're, they're absolutely crucial to our progression, our spiritual progression. And the bonds between parents and children and the bonds that connect parents are, are just so crucial and so important. And the proclamation does speak to that, you know, so I, so I resonate very much with that. So, John, what I'm hearing you say is you don't really see your relationship with your husband in the proclamation, but to you that doesn't really matter because there's still a lot of unknown. But what you do know is what your relationship with God is like. Well, you know, that's the thing, though, is I've had plenty of experience. I mean, I've been attending church for like 15 years now. So I've sat through many a priesthood lesson where we've talked about, you know, the relationship between a husband and a wife and, and about the relationship between parents and children, what it means to be a good spouse and what it means to be a, a, a good parent. And these are lessons that I absolutely relate to. And that I take right home and apply in my relationship with my husband. And so I've, I've never sat through one of those lessons and felt like this is completely irrelevant to me. And so I can just turn, turn my mind and heart off. You know, it's similar with the proclamation. There's definitely aspects of that that I relate to very strongly. But th- th- there's the piece about a man and a woman. You know, that's where I kind of feel like the, the church is speaking to what it knows, or, or what it knew. And it's, it's not speaking to what we don't know. So it doesn't worry me. It, it doesn't make me angry. It doesn't make me feel like I got I to gotta pitch the church because it doesn't have the answer to this particular question. John, I really People. respect that. And I think it's a very wise way to live. I mean, there's a lot of things just about life in general that cause friction, but I feel like there's good in everything, or at least you can look for good. Um, and I think it's really cool that you were you take the proclamation kind of at that level and even talking about sitting in different lessons where most, uh, a lot of people would feel isolated or left out. And just to realize that there's still truth and goodness you can glean from that experience and to just kind of like take the good and whatever causes like harm or dissonance, maybe just kind of like leave that where it is. And I, I feel like that's a very like positive way to live. That's really cool. Um, well, you know, for me, it's, it's kind of the only way to live. Uh, you know, I had an insight the other day, and that was just, John, this is, this is the Lord speaking to me. John, this is going to require patience, and I've taught you about patience. You know what patience is, and so you can apply it in this situation. And so that's, that's what I th- am doing now, you know, during this very, very difficult time that we're passing through as a nation you know, it's just like there's no value really in freaking out. Ben, what's your relationship with the Family Proclamation like? 
Well, I'll share one quick experience. So when I moved to Tucson in 2012 to do graduate work at the University of Arizona, uh, I, I gave one of my colleagues a ride home one day, and he wasn't a member of the church, wasn't super familiar with the church. And so he asked me what the church's stance was on same-sex marriage. And I quoted to him the family proclamation. I said, we believe that marriage is only between a man and a woman. And he was very kind and respectful of that. And then when I got home, I decided to like, write him an email to just kind of like follow up and share some of my thoughts. And I pulled the, procl- the proclamation to show him this, this line that says that marriage is only between a man and a woman. And I didn't find that, which honestly shocked me because that's how it always been taught to me. Like this document shows that marriage is only, only between a man and a woman. And so what it does say is marriage between a man and a woman is ordained of God. Uh, we solemnly proclaim that marriage between a man and a woman is ordained of God, and that the family is central to the creator's plan for the eternal destiny of his children. And then it reiterates that teaching later on. It says the family is ordained of God. Marriage between a man and a woman is essential to his eternal plan. And that really got my, my gears going thinking, you know, okay, so marriage between a man and a woman is ordained of God and it is central to, to his plan. And I thought about like my own family, like I, I come from a, I mean, we're not a picture perfect family, but we're pretty ideal. Uh, you know, I have two parents who love me and care about me and, uh, who were just like so active and involved in my life. And so I feel like, like as a child, like I was raised in, in the best situation that child of God could ask for, honestly. And I, and I, and I mean that like the, the best situation possible. And so as I, as I see the principle stated in the, in the, in the proclamation about, you know, what, it, what, a, what good parents do, you know, husband and wives are responsible, uh, to care for each other and to love each other. Like I saw that and they're responsible to teach their children. And I saw that. And, and as I, you know, mother, like my mother was nurturing my, my, my dad provided for us. And my mom also provided, there was a time where she made a lot more money than my dad. And, um, and their roles were a little reversed. Like when my, my dad started working from home when I was a kid. And so he was the one who took me to doctors and took care of me when I was sick at home, you know, that, that th- those roles changed a little bit, but t- to me, the proclamation wasn't really a, a tough thing. And honestly, it really never has been, uh, just because I've, I've always seen like, like the family I'm part of in it. And the, the hard thing now is when people like, I, I personally, like when I read the proclamation, I, I don't feel angst. I don't feel anger. I don't feel hurt. I don't feel like it's attacking me, but I feel like people have used it to attack me. Hmm. And, and that, that has been a hard thing. So the, the actual words in the proclamation to me personally have never been hard, especially once I actually started studying them. And when I started to pull apart, well, this is what the proclamation says, and this is what it doesn't say. And so when I focus on what it actually says and not how it's been interpreted and used to attack me, um, I think it, to me, it's actually been a, a document that has not caused many problems. But how about you, Charlie? I resonate with that a lot. I think it's interesting because growing up, the proclamation was kind of like the, like a physical manifestation of the love I had for my family. It's like, it, it it's somehow like it, it's become like a cultural icon of of a family unit right and so like we have one in my home and it just reminded like seeing that document on the wall would make me think of how much i love my family and then my parents got divorced and then all of a sudden like my family didn't really fit the proclamation and like the way that i thought the family was supposed to be was no longer my family and so i think from kind of like a young age i was dealing with like conflicting feelings about the proclamation and how me and my family unit fit into that that being said, I remember the first time, I actually remember very vividly the first time it was, was ever used, um, like you were saying, as a weapon against LGBTQ people. It was in 2008 when the church was involved in Proposition 8 in California. I was in, I, let's see, how old would I have been? 
maybe like 13 or 14 and I was in a Sunday school lesson and they, the Sunday school lesson was about how gay marriage was wrong. And the whole hour was about how like sign of the times, proposition eight, family proclamation, like, like the takeaway I got from the lesson was that the, the prophets had foreseen the evil of gay marriage and that I needed to shun gay people even more than I already was. It, it was, it was really interesting. Like I have a lot of interesting dynamics with this document and how it affected like my family unit but also me personally, I, I used it to weaponize like against myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't, I don't know. Maybe people can relate to that. And then growing up now that I'm like out and I'm openly gay, I, I have felt what Ben's saying a lot. Like the, the words themselves don't really jar me. Cause like, I'm like, yeah, marriage is so beautiful. And I love when a man and a woman create life and have a family unit and can like, create a beautiful Christ-centered dynamic in the home. Like that is so wonderful to me, but I have had it used and quoted and like sent to me in messages trying to like disqualify my feelings or tell me that me coming out was wrong and that I'm like toying too close to the edge. And uh, that's, that's really, I don't know, that's harmful. And I think the purpose of the church or the purpose of the gospel is never really to isolate or judge another person. So if we're using this proclamation to do that, we might kind of need to check the purpose of it and also our intentions. Mm. You know, uh, Ben, you you triggered something for me and it reminded me very much of my reaction when I actually read the document, because I remember reading those statements about, and thinking, yes, amen, amen. Like, I, I absolutely uh, believe that marriage between a man and a woman is, is ordained of God and, and family is ordained of God and so on. So, it wasn't that I necessarily took issue with anything that was overtly stated in there. It's just, I thought there's more to this story that's not being, that, that isn't here. There, there's tons of stuff in the church that can be taken and weaponized. I mean, I think one of the things that was really powerful for me about coming back to the church was that I was, I I had a sort of Sunday school narrative in my head about what the scriptures said that had sort of been inculcated into me from, you know, the time that I was very young. And then I had spent 19 years away from the church learning a lot of things and being active in other churches and exploring other forms of spirituality. And I I came back because I had this very powerful spiritual experience where it, it, it was just this undeniable, like the Lord was saying, you need to go back. In my head, I just I doubted everything. I'm pretty sure that the church was false, <laughs> right? And I was like, but God wants me to go back for some reason. Uh, I remember just having a really profound spiritual experience around, you need to read the Book of Mormon. Because I hadn't really been, you know, doing that up until that point. I'd just been going to church on Sunday. And, you know, I had this old tattered book that somebody had given me as a joke that they'd picked up at some garage sale. And it was like published in like 1958 or something like that. And so it was like literally falling apart in my hands. It was the only Book of Mormon I had in the house. <laughs> and and so I I sat down with this thing on my lap and I, I I was like, I can't just start reading this. I have to pray first. This incredible spiritual experience. And one of the things that was really clear to me is I'm going to read this book and see 
if it's relevant to me now in light of everything I know about being, you know, away from the church and all the experiences I've gone through and now being in a committed same-sex relationship, like, does this book have any significance or any meaning to me now? Every page was just full of, I, I mean, I still have all of the notes that I kept from that first time, re, you know, reading the Book of Mormon again, really. And it felt like for the first time in many ways. And, you know, what I've learned from this experience is what people think the scriptures say and what the scriptures actually say is often two completely different things. Mm-hmm. So we owe it to ourselves to put out of our heads the things that people tell us we're supposed to think, just interact directly with God and with the scriptures and see what they say to us and, and let that be our guide. And, uh, you know, that's, that's how I approach the scriptures. It's how I approach the proclamation on the family as well. Yeah. John, I, I love that. Cause what, what I, what I see you doing is not letting like hurt or even disbelief keep you from engaging with God and, and really letting him teach you. Just a thought I've had is, as I've been reflecting on, you know, what the proclamation teaches during our conversation. Um, you know, I really love that it, you know, it starts out by saying that, like, we are children of heavenly parents. They love us and, they, and we're supposed to become like them. And then the whole document, you know, it just talks about, you know, this is the life of our father and mother. And it's meant for their children, too. Like, like this is meant for us, too. And, you know, as I thought about, you know, we don't know much about our heavenly mother. But if a woman's role, as stated in the proclamation, is primarily she's primarily responsible for the nurture of her children. You know, that means that our heavenly mother is primarily responsible for our nurturing. And like, what do we know about that? Like, how does that work? Like, we don't know, like, there's still so much more that we don't know. As I, as I've, as I ponder those words in the, in, in the proclamation about, you know, about how this is how God, the mother and God, the father live. And that's how we're supposed to live too. It just kind of like, to me, it, it's, it's soul expanding and it makes me want to be someone who, who can live a godlike life. Right. Well, and right. for me, even the first lines about uh, being a beloved child of God is so integral. And it's so funny because, I mean, I grew up hearing that over and over and over again, but I never really believed it because I always thought I was a mistake, right? I thought because I was attracted to the same gender that something about me was like wrong. And so in that line, as like all parts of me, like I am, I am a son of God, like there's beauty, there's divinity to me. And so, I don't know, that's just a nice thought I had while Ben was saying that. Because that truth was, was something I needed to learn, and it, and it was there in the Family Proclamation, which I have conflicting feelings about, you know? But it, it, it's like, if, if you just like, I guess like John, you were saying, to take your mind or your scripture study or your faith outside of the restraints of like society and just really dig in and figure out what you need from God, how you need to connect and all of these, I don't know, answers that you were talking about. If, if we can, I, I think, I mean, I, I agree with you when you were saying that the safest answer is often, I don't know, but I also kind of want to add to that and say, once you get into those, I don't know spaces, that's where personal revelation can really kick in and you can develop a relationship with heaven and you can find answers specifically for you. And that's just a really beautiful thing. Well, and there's also even a line that, that says that different circumstances may necessitate individual adaptation. And I think I, it's funny because initially, like the first times I read that, I was like, oh, there's a couple families who don't fit this. But kind of like, that's everyone. Like that is a very important line. And, and no one is like, 
perfectly in line with whatever we think the ideal family is. Not even your family, Ben. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, like the Shalatis are perfect. <laughs> but like in, individual yeah. adaptation, personal revelation, that's so important and we can't discount that. Well, so here's what's really damaging is when you are either explicitly or implicitly given a message of if your family doesn't look like this, there's something wrong with you. You must have done something wrong if your family doesn't look like this. That's such a damaging message, especially when most families don't look like that. You you know, John, I... I've spent a lot of my time in life as a prideful person. I think we can all relate. Um, but but for a while, you know, the, the proclamation to me was kind of like like a pat on the back. Like, look at how good my family of origin is. Like, we follow all these principles. Like, why can't other people be be like be like us? Mm-hmm. And and um, and and I think that was like such a damaging thing for me to believe. And and then I like after this experience that I had with with this with my, this colleague of mine at the University of Arizona, when I realized that it that it didn't say well, what it said was that marriage between a man and woman is ordained of God. And I thought, well, is it is it an either or is it a yes and like could there be other kinds of families that are also valid and also good and that they gave me a lot of time to like think and ponder and honestly my mind expanded and and john i think if i had met you when i was like 27 i would have i would have just like rejected you as someone who needed to change his life i honestly i really think that's how i, how I would have responded and yeah, same and, and i am so grateful that I have had enough experiences where I, I have realized that the, that the family, like the family of God includes all of us and includes all of God's children. And I am not supposed to reject you or think that you are less worthy or less valid than I am. And like, honestly, like had I done that, like John, you, you like shaped the course of my life before I even met you. And you know, how, how much poor are we if we, if we discount people because they're not living in this box when, when, when I think most of us don't, if, if someone came to you, someone who, who is, is gay and wants to be active in the church, but is just feeling so much pain because of the proclamation, like what, what, what piece of advice would you give to them? Well, first of all, that happens all the time, (laughs) right? You know, I'll just acknowledge first up that LGBTQ people are put in in such a painful position, not because the church is so terrible, but because the church is so wonderful. How do you mean? Well, because to have to choose between the wonderful good of the church and, mm. and the gospel and the wonderful good of your sexuality, your, your, your God-given identity, that's a terrible choice. And there are a lot of people who are just like really profoundly in pain. When I've had those kinds of conversations in the past, my approach is really to try to tease out from them where they need to be. I've been practicing yoga for years, and my yoga instructors talk about the difference between discomfort and pain. And they say, pain is bad. If, if you're experiencing pain, back out of that posture. It's, it's not a good posture if you're experiencing pain, because it probably means you're hurting yourself. But discomfort is good, right? We move through discomfort, and, and we breathe through discomfort, and we, 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 learn, we learn from it, right? Discomfort um, 
I mean, pain teaches us too, but discomfort can, can teach us. And so if, if you're in one of those situations where you're in discomfort, but you can breathe through it, then, hey, I have some breathing techniques for you. My breathing technique is prayer, right? I mean, ultimately, like that's how I, I breathe through discomfort. How I get through discomfort is prayer and, and uh, studying the scriptures and, and trying to be close to God. But if you're in pain and you're hurting yourself, usually a sign of that is if you're, you know, if you're experiencing like some severe form of depression, if you're thinking self-harmful thought, those are signs that you're doing damage. And you know what? It's okay to back away. And, you know, I was really lucky. I had a dad and I, I remember this moment and I just remember it clearly as if it were yesterday. We're sitting in in church getting ready for sacrament meeting my dad sort of leans over to me and he says he says you are going to have to figure out for yourself if the church is true or not and this was the part that stunned me is is he said if you need to leave the church and explore other things you you can do that it was kind of a stunning thing for my dad to say to me, and it was a powerful testimony of my dad's trust in the gospel, because my dad trusted that the, the gospel was bigger and more powerful than anything that we do. So, if we need to take time away, if we need to explore, if we need to try other things on for size, if there's truth in the gospel, it will bring us back. We need to really believe in the truth and, and in the power of the atonement and in the power of truth. So, yeah, that, that's what I would tell anybody. Like, I, I think that one of the most damaging things is for people to feel like they have no choice. And well, that that's so in line with the teachings of the gospel. Like, God gives us choice. He gives us agency. And if we feel like we have no choice... That idea, that thought is not coming from a place of light or goodness. That's absolutely right. People feel imprisoned in the church. and Because I, I remember having this kind of mentality of, if I ever leave the church, I'm going to be horribly miserable. And so I thought, I can't. Like, I have no choice. And and that sense of, like, no choicedness, like, mm-hmm. that was what was driving me towards suicide, because then I was kind of like, I have no choice and I'm in this place of unbearable pain and you feel cornered. Yeah. Right. You are trapped and it's such a damn. And how do you get out? Right. And, and so lacking really ultimately in like, again, if the gospel has value, if the gospel has truth, it will, it will hold its own against whatever we can bring to it. Um, and so, you know, sometimes I feel like, everybody in the church ought to take a a church vacation. If only just to see what things are like in the evangelical Lutheran church in America or in the Roman Catholic church or, you know, in, in the near local reformed Jewish synagogue or, or the Buddhist temple, like to those experiences can only enrich our faith. That's, that's been my experience. So to anybody who's in pain and to anybody who's really struggling I'd say it's okay to let it go. Like, if you think that the proclamation is just this, you know, horrible, evil, 
damaging, oppressive document. Nobody's forcing you to hold on to this thing. Like, let it go, go do something else, and then see, you know, see what you find. And I think that's the best thing any of us can do is to just embrace our agency. I think it's important to note, or, or something that has helped me reconcile my conflicting feelings about the family proclamation is that this this document is not the anchor of my testimony. It's not the keystone of my religion. It's very important. It has beautiful eternal truths given through the mouth of a prophet. But if we're not focused on Jesus Christ, we're missing the mark and something's always going to feel empty there. There's always going to be a sense of, of there, there needs to be more like that. You, you can't like connect if you're not focused on Jesus Christ. And so I think, you know, sometimes culturally, especially like me uh, at my age, as all my friends are getting married and like, I, just like marriage is all around me. Culturally, the proclamation has kind of become like the crowning jewel of the church and of the religion and of like this age bracket that I'm in right now. But um, I, I think you kind of miss out on a lot if you're only focused on that. And, and, and to me, the crowning jewel, at least of, of my testimony is the love of Jesus Christ. And that's something that anchors me and helps me to sit and, and breathe through these discomfort, uncomfortable situations that, that John was talking about. And I'd like to share that because, you know, the truth is all three of us aren't really living the principles in the proclamation, if you will, because, you know, John, you're in a same-sex marriage. Charlie and I are both single. And, you know, like, personally, like, I have no plans to get married. And so, um, I'm, not, I'm not really following the principles either. And, and yet, you know, as I, as I turn to Jesus Christ... <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm laughing because that just sounds funny. And I'm, I was just imagining me making that snippet, like, the snippet we share of the podcast... <laughs> like, we're not really following the principles. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to break your train of thought. <laughs> okay, thank you for making fun of me. Anyway, <laughs> um, but uh, but but my my point is that you know even though you know I'm single and not searching for a wife and I'm not going to have kids, um, you know, as I focus on my relationship with with my heavenly parents and with my earthly parents and my, and the people around me who are all part of my family. And as I focus on, on Jesus Christ, like all, like my life becomes really beautiful and really wonderful and really meaningful. And I don't have to worry about the fact that I'm not sealed to a partner for eternity because right now that's not the focus. You know, right now the focus is to become like Jesus Christ. And I feel like God has put me um, in circumstances and with people that help that, that help me to achieve that goal. Amen to that. It's very nice. Amen to that. Yeah, there's so much there's so much that we can do just to become Christ-like. If the only thing we focus on in our life is to have more patience, to have more love, to look for where there's pain and then to bring healing and love to those situations. If that's all we focus on in our lives, that's such a huge work. Like there are so many people who go through life and never really learn what it means to be selfless. That, that pretty much teaches us everything we need to know about what we need to be. And all three of us can work on that regardless of what our marital status is. Yeah. Well, John, thank you so much for being on, on the podcast today and for sharing your thoughts and, and your life. And I have just always found you to be someone who is inspirational. And I just, we just really appreciate your time. Thank you. Wonderful conversation. 
Thank you for joining us today. If you've enjoyed this or other episodes, please consider leaving us an Apple podcast review. And as always, please remember that we do not represent the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or Brigham Young University. We are not trying to be prescriptive or tell anyone what to think or what to do. You heard three perspectives and there are many, many more. We encourage you to listen to other voices and hear a wide variety of experiences. If you would like to submit a question or share a comment about today's episode, you can email us at questionsfromthecloset at gmail.com. Until next time.